Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Nolan Sam with Infinite Banking Radio, and this is another episode about the CRE Collective, which is our private mentorship talking about how to purchase commercial real estate, whether it's in Birmingham or whether it's anywhere else in the United States. But what we really focus on is the industrial side and in the flex space, not so much uh, you know, office or storage or multifamily or single family. We're only focusing on uh, the industrial warehouse space. So what we're doing in this episode is we're actually, you can actually uh, click the link below that's going to um, get you over to our YouTube page where you can watch the, the, the video live. You can see how we underwrite on our spreadsheet. But if you have interest in learning and actually becoming a part of our CRE Collective, again, there's going to be a link in the bio of this episode. You can click and get onto our schedule and see if maybe this this is going to be a fit for you and what you're trying to accomplish. So before anything else shakes out, we'd love to have you. But uh, listen along, and we hope to see you on the other side. Talk soon. All right. You did them both. Sounds good. And you get up and you're just like, holy cow, I can't even believe this. And it's like it's like that easy. It took like less than wow. 10 minutes. So it's, it is remarkable. And I went into the, I went into my eye doctor the next day. I went from 2035 to 2015 vision the very next day. When did you have this done? I had it done like a week and a half ago. Oh dude, that's fantastic. Dude, it's, it was unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. So, um, well, before we jump in, I wanted to introduce one of our newest, our newest member, uh, members, Lance, so Lance, if you want to hop on, I want to put you on the spot, but man, I'd like to have you come on and introduce yourself. Tell us more about who you are, what you're, what you're doing, man, what your interests are and how we can all, you know, get together and help you get where you want to go. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Nolan. What's up? My name is Lance. Um, I just graduated from Virginia Tech in May. Um, I just started my W2 job uh, as a business analyst for Capital One. So that's cool. Um, but my long-term goals have always been real estate. Uh, me, my mom, and brother, we're third owners of a company that has three Airbnbs. Um, after having three Airbnbs, you know, I got addicted to real estate, but I also was like, this is just so much to <laughs> handle managing Airbnbs. Um, so I've just been trying to look for something that's, you know, more passive. And, um, you know, I found, found Nolan's videos online and Ever since then, I've been hooked. So, um, yeah, I just love real estate. That's that's the main thing. I'm just trying to get as many properties as I can. I'm from, uh, I'm like t- 10, 15 minutes from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I live in a city called Elkett City, Maryland, if anyone's ever heard of it. I personally have not, but... But we're, we're excited to have you, man. Again, this is, you know, right now, we, we, we um, are a little lighter this week. I think maybe everyone's getting ready for our... Uh, live event next week so we're pretty good we're getting pumped about that like i was telling you i will i will say this um it is like everything is coming together y'all so i'm like really pumped up we got like everything dialed in i gotta thank mel again she's been like the most help ever setting you know working and setting all this stuff up so mel i'm giving you a shout out thank you for all that you've done for you know setting all this stuff up for us so um yeah so can i say something real quick yeah, yeah, please, please do. we're on that topic, um, if anybody has any food allergies or just major preferences or um, would like a vegetarian option, will you guys please hit me up tonight because I've got to turn in final food orders tomorrow. 
Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Well, this week, what I was wanting to chop up about, um, get into some of the weeds. If anybody has any deals or kind of anything on their mind, I wanted to, um, fortunately we had a really, um, two weeks ago had a really big week. Um, we had, I had two closings on one day. Thankfully, uh, we had Mel and Grant as a partner on a building of ours on a building together. And then also I purchased a building by myself. So I wanted to go into the, the details of those deals, um, and, sh- and show you how we underwrote, how we broke those deals down, how and why that it makes sense, how we negotiate them kind of from start to finish. If you guys are, if you guys are kind of good with like seeing how the timeline went from having my broker send it to, you know, sitting at the closing table with 75 year old men. <laughs> um, cause it was kind of funny. So I'll say this um, again. I'm, I've been really excited. Well, well, let's go into the deal first that um, I did with with Mel and Grant. Again, I think Mel so far and Grant are okay with us sharing some of the numbers. I think that's okay. Is, are you are you good with that? Just showing the overall, not necessarily into the weeds of it, but just showing the math. I'm fine. I don't uh, care. Okay, cool. So let's just dive in. I'm going to share this my screen here. Um, move you over here. All right, making sure everyone can see this. So I don't remember where the exact address is, 15. But um, Lance, because you're new, what I want, what what we try and do every week is, or every other week is um, go into the, the details of deals. If somebody else has a deal that's on their mind, say, hey, you know, send it to me. And then we'll just like underwrite the deal, like, like what we're doing right now. Or if somebody else, like for example, if I um, we were negotiating a seller financing deal, I went into the weeds on exactly how I was negotiating a seller financing uh, on a deal. So I just want to be completely transparent on every single thing that we're doing. So everybody can say, damn, I could probably apply that, um, you know, one way or another. So, um, but just looking at the math on this, this is where it gets cool. Is in in um, I texted Mel and Grant today. I'll, I'll give you guys the deets on this. But we we purchased this building. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Ten days ago, and um, it's 4,500 feet. Value land's probably like 40 grand, whatever it is. We we um, it's like this little place over in Bessemer, which is like a suburb of Birmingham, and it's a building that is like was built in 2008 or something. It's not crazy old. It's like just, it's a metal building. It's a, it's an industrial building. Let me see if I can find some pictures of this thing. I don't know if I have any pictures. I could probably, I could probably like, let's see if I can pull it up. 1506. Here it is. So you guys can see what it looks like. It's just like, it's just a, it's just a building. It's just a warehouse, right? It's like nothing more than just a warehouse. And, um, so, you know, just like what, like, and, and so if you've watched the videos of what we say, the number one, most important thing that I try and focus on is building out the team first. Like I would have never stumbled upon this deal myself. I would have never, I would have never found this building. I would have never been over in Bessemer and driving around and found this space. Okay. So 
What we try and focus really hard on, again, I'm not directing this at you, Lance. I'm just directing this at the team, but you're new. So I want to like hammer down at how important it is to like focus on building our team out because you don't end up um, finding the deals. If you spend your time focusing on the deals yourself, you're competing against everybody else that's better than you already. So what I try and do for myself and what I try and, you know, coach people to do is let's focus on only um, building out our team and letting and you becoming the puppeteer. So I focus on having three or, you know, two to three to four brokers, really two or three brokers that know exactly what I'm doing. If you got the sniper rifle out, you're adjusting the scope to exactly what you're looking for. 5,000 to 25,000 square feet. You know, the income of the tenant is anywhere from two to $12 million a year. Um, it needs to be in this location, it needs to have um, no more than eight stoplights off of the highway for the, for our tenants to be able to get onto the interstate. Like things that go into that a tenant's going to look at and value if you can, if you can like drive that home to your to your to your brokers, they're going to have such a better opportunity to send you exactly what you're looking for. So then, when they actually do find that specific deal that you've given them to look for, you go and close it. They get paid. Then they're going to say, "Okay, maybe I'll just only start working for this guy because every time that I send him exactly what he's looking for, I'm making money." So. So what I'm saying is on this particular deal, I want to make sure that we focus on, I did not find this deal myself. This deal was brought to me from my broker who said, Nolan, this deal fits right into your tiny ass little buy box. You got this tiny little scope of what you're looking for, and this actually fits right into it. And so he had to pitch me on a little bit because it was like a little smaller. It was like 4,500 square feet. Again, you saw guys, it's not, it's not very big. It's like a little, you know, it's a little box, but he goes, let me tell you something, Nolan. This is this is a great little piece of real estate in Bessemer because um, what you'll notice is, again, it, it doesn't back up to anything, and it's got parking. And it's also, it's got ingress, egress, on, and it sits on a corner lot. He's like, there's a tenant. He's like, there's a business down the street that has almost an identical building. It's like a mile down the road, almost an identical building to what you have, only they don't have any parking and they're sitting on a one-way street. This is a two-way street. So you can see this is two-way. So they're sitting on a one-way street and they don't have any parking. And they're paying 3100 bucks a month in triple net lease rent. Okay. So for me, I'm like, okay. Or maybe it was, maybe it was like 2900 It was a little less. But I was like, that is not... That is not a bad move. Like for, you know, if you're just doing the math on that, like what what is the match? So $2,900 times 12, $34,800. You divide that by 0.09, which is the cap rate. That makes the value of that building $386,000. So I was like, okay, so this building is in a lot better shape. It's newer. It's got, it's on a two-way street and it's got parking. So I'm like, okay, I know we've got upside on this. So what we what the guy was trying to sell for, he was trying to sell for like three, like 310 or something out of the gate, which probably isn't even a bad price. But Sam was like, you could probably negotiate. This guy's crazy motivated. And I said, okay, what's the like how motivated? And so he goes, he's motivated. So I, I threw an offer out there at like 190, 190,000 bucks and some change. Guy came back at 225 and I said, let's do the deal like. 213,000, like 
560 bucks or something really random. And I said, this is the most that I can pay seller. I can't pay anymore because of X, Y, and Z. And I kind of made it a random number just to show that I was like trying to come up with a random number. But what I discovered is how motivated this guy was and what Sam kind of taught me and what one of his mentors taught me that I've tried to, you know, convey to y'all is there's, if you can have, and I said this before, but if you can have three of these attributes in a deal, you get a great deal. If you can have motivation from the seller, you can have a timeline and you can have something wrong with the property. You are, you are bound to have an immaculate deal. And so in this particular situation, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with the property other than maybe, so Greg and Hyder are in Birmingham. They know that Bessemer is not Mountain Brook, Alabama. Mountain Brook is probably the most wealthiest zip code in the state. Bessemer is simply not. It's just blue collar USA. So maybe there's something wrong with it, meaning there's the location might be a little off. But also the guy has a timeline. He wants to get out. He actually purchased an RV on credit because he's ready to travel. He'd never been north and north of Nashville or west of Tupelo, Mississippi. And he was motivated. He wanted to get the hell out. He was tired of being in the transmission business. So so from what Sam was telling me and the information that I was being conveyed from the seller, I was like, okay, we've got a really solid, like a really solid lead on a tenant that's really wanting to move. So we came together on this purchase price. It was like, again, it's like 213, like 560. I could look at the HUD statement, I forget. But it was something along those lines. And so what we ended up doing is out of the gate, we purchased the property at a 0% monthly income. Because again, the guy was selling the building, you know, selling his business. And so it's risky, right? That's what most people think of. It's risky buying a business or, or buying a property when there is no tenant because there is no cash flow. And so what I told Nell and what I told Grant, I said, look, let's just run the math. Let's just see how the math checks out on this thing. So um, Lance, I don't know if you had a chance to kind of play around with these numbers. I know there's a lot going on here, but let's just say that the exit cap rate or our, ex, or our, our exit refinance cap rate is 8%. That's what we're going to, the market would purchase this property at. Well, we just sent just, this happened just earlier, about two hours ago. I texted Mel and Grant. We've got an LOI from a tenant right now wanting to pay us 3,500 bucks a month in triple net lease. In a, in a triple net lease, um, triple net. So we're not paying any of the expenses. So you can see what happens here. So we bought this property. And, and also not to mention, we're going to give them one month of free rent Meaning, but we're, the rent's not actually going to commence until November 1st, um, at least this, and it's a five-year lease, which I can, once once I get the lease, I can show this to you guys. But what you can see, though, is that if we amortize this out over 20, if we borrowed money at, you know, 8.25, that's probably where debt is today, you know, whatever. But what we did out of the gate, if you noticed, is that we deployed, we deployed, there's zero loan to value, so we deployed in equity like 213 grand on this deal, right? That's what we that's the cash that we injected. But if you notice, if you notice other property for cash? I thought you said you had debt on it. No, no, no. We don't have debt on this property. We we brought cash to the deal. We bought this for we bought this 100 cash. Gotcha. Because the game was, in my opinion, and this is what I was conveying to Mel and Grant as I said, look, yes, this is a quote unquote riskier deal because there is no cash. There's no cash flow out of the gate. But when you do have cash flow out of the gate, your investors are buying out of rate of return. So this is where the, the massive income can be. Look what happens to our exit refi cap right here. If we were to sell this building at a 9% cap rate to somebody else, okay, 
someone bringing in 3,500 bucks a month in triple net lease income, look what the sale price would be. 500, almost 500, over $550,000. So everyone get their calculator out real quick. I want to make sure that you guys can like discover how to get to this number. Okay. So follow along with me. So, so right now, forget about the square footage, forget about that. So the way that we discover the intrinsic value of, of a building is by seeing what the rental income is and you divide that by the market cap rate. So everybody type in, so on this building, 3,500 bucks, so type in 3,500, multiply that by 12 months in a year, 12. Did everyone get 42,000? Okay, now we divide that by the market cap rate. So 0 0.09. Well, maybe my sales price is off for some reason there. Oh, I see why. Because the exit cap rate, because they're, they're including in, in year five, because of the rent bumps, we've in, we've in, this includes the rent going up three percent every year, um, which makes it even better than if we want to sell in three years. But if you notice, the value of this building right now at a nine cap is four hundred sixty six thousand dollars. So it gives us a lot of options. We basically just discovered what is that two hundred and basically forty thousand dollars of equity that's what we've just discovered by placing a tenant in like freaking 14 days okay that's the value and that, that's truly the power of commercial real estate if you were purchasing a residential property in what world if there's 12 houses in a cul-de-sac and they're all going for 200 grand or two hundred thirteen thousand dollars in the 13th property you were able to purchase at maybe even a discount at 150. In what world would you be able to make that $150,000 house worth, you know, $466,000? It's it's just impossible, you know? So what makes this deal really cool is that Mel Grant and I extracted value out of this deal just by increasing the monthly rental income. That's what makes the deal so cool. And so what we, you know, so her and I and, and Grant, what we'll do is we'll come together once this, this lease is signed and we're, you know, hopefully moving forward within before October 1st. I'm actually really shocked at how quickly this one's kind of gone by. I'm not going to lie, but we can get together on this and discuss, Hey, what is the bet? What are we really wanting to accomplish here? Are we wanting to accomplish a quick flip where we all walk away with multiple 10 figures or are we wanting to, or are we wanting to just refinance our equity out? You know, take a mortgage for 250 grand and just cash flow the property into oblivion, you know? But it gives us options now versus us buying the property at, you know, a $400,000 valuation and then just service and debt and making 600 bucks a month in cash flow. You see what I'm saying? So, so it gives us a lot of options, but I wanted to walk through. Does everyone did everyone follow how kind of we got to that valuation? How that how those numbers make sense? Okay, and then and of course I didn't even really get into it, but I mean the whole other side of the play here is the depreciation. You know, we we don't. I didn't really discuss that whole piece on this deal, but um, you know, you're talking about almost fifty grand of just bonus depreciation that's going to be able to offset our income for you know something else that you know some of our W-2 income on the other side of the balance sheet. So this was something I wanted to talk about. Um, so I know in the next couple, I think it's like a five year period where they're like getting rid of bonus depreciation. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Or is there any like, I guess like workarounds 
Because that's like really frustrating for me because I'm like, I'm really about to get into this game and they're getting rid of this. Right, I'm about to get into it. Yeah, so um, everybody will actually get a chance to hear that answer next week with uh, my account. He's going to be talking a lot about that because that's that's all, that's all on everyone's mind right now is like, okay, yeah. bonus depreciation is just starting to step down from 100 to 80 to 60, you know, all the way down. But his his observation and his understanding is right now, the, the bonus depreciation, that is the largest incentive to invest in real estate for all investors. It's, it's a, it, it, so, and, I, and I've said this in the past, but if you can look at the tax code, not a lot of people do this. Most, of the, most people, I'm not describing everyone in this group, just most people, they look at, at Uncle Sam is out to get them. They think, you know, it's not fair that I have to pay all these taxes. It's just unfair. It's not, you know, whatever. But the fact is, is the tax code is written for investors. It's it's totally lopsided and it's totally rigged. It's it's rigged for the investor and the entrepreneur. And so what I'm saying is, is that if you are a, if a person is a W-2 and they're a high income earning doctor, right? They're this orthopedic surgeon that's making 800 grand a year. That's not a bad thing, but the government is not trying to incentivize employees that work for hospitals. That's why they tax, that's why the tax is so high. So what they do try and incentivize is people to start businesses and invest in real estate and invest in agriculture, invest in oil, invest in natural gas and electricity and all these things that are out there because they're not very good at, at it themselves. If you've driven to any big city and you've seen the projects, you've discovered how bad the government is at anything. They're, they're just horrible at pretty much everything that they do. So they, what they do is they said, okay, we're, we're going to stop trying to do this ourselves. And we're just going to let the, the guys that are way better at this do it. And we're just going to incentivize them with tax abatements and deductions and subsidies. And so to answer your question in full circle, my account, and I, and I feel the same way again, I'm not an expert. I can't, I don't have a magic eight ball. I can't predict the future, but he's, he's confident that Congress is going to, in the next, again, I don't know when these Congress people like meet, but he's confident that they are going to put bonus depreciation at a hundred percent to become permanent in the next round of lawmaking or whatever that looks like next year or whatever, because the lower that you sunset this, the, the, the less depreciation that an investor can take the less you're incentivizing them to invest in real estate. Because if they have, for example, if you go have a million dollars in cash and you can go invest this in real estate and then take this massive deduction, or you can go and invest it somewhere else, you're going to go do whatever is most tax efficient. That's just, you know, you as an individual, you're going to do what's most tax. How are you going to be able to make the most money and save the most money? That's what you're going to do. That's what I'm going to do. And so if you are a person that is not, if the government is saying, hey, we're done doing this, all that money that you have, we're just not going to incentivize it. We're not going to deduct it anymore. There's going to be money is going to is going to trickle up and it's going to go find some other way, place to go. And so, again, Clay will really, really expound on this, but he's very confident. I'm pretty confident just because of his confidence, I guess, and my studying that this is this is going to be here to stay once they um, come back into the obsession of the next laws or whatever. So, but I, but I agree with you though, right now, when that bonus depreciation is deducting down, it, it, it can, it can, you're investing money and it, 
you're losing some deduction that you would have otherwise gotten if it had been a year before. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's reassuring to hear because I didn't know that within, I guess, the investing community, that was the belief. So that's reassuring. Yeah. Well, again, it's it's one of those things where nothing's set in stone until it's on paper, I guess. But as of as of what my, you know, as of what Clay was telling me, he's he's pretty confident that because, again, it goes back and says if if they don't do it, money's going to dry up in real estate. It's going to go somewhere else. It's just going to go somewhere else. So it's it's I I don't know the direction of where the money would go, but um the government needs people to invest and build housing. Everyone talks about the housing crisis and everything. And so it's like, why not continue to, you know, subsidize or give tax abatements to these investors in order for them to go and do what the government simply cannot do. They don't have the capacity to do it. So um, I'm not some philosophical guy that just makes sense to me at least. So, um, all right. So does this deal, does this deal make sense to everybody? Like how we kind of got to that number? And like, again, this is just one deal, I guess, but how no, man, that deal's fantastic, man. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, just like looking at all the numbers, I mean, yeah, this isn't a run of the mill run. This is like a home run opportunity. So this home is run. actually fantastic. Home run. And, and again, it, it goes back to, because I get calls and it's like, Hey, well, uh, you know, the deal, the deal, it's like the deal, of course, is important. You will get the deal done, but it's got to be you only get to the deals is if you have the right team, because if, think about this way. Think about this way. If I would have been trying to do this myself, take a step back for a second. First of all, I would have had to f- been driving around Bessemer and call this bow guy who is a seller, negotiate with him. I would have had to go and close this deal by myself um, whether I would have brought Mel and Grant on or not, that's not the point. It, it's like trying to do everything myself. And then I would have had to go and, and find, you know, the tenant that I don't have a relationship with where my leasing agent, who he already knows what type of tenant that I want in my building. So he knew exactly what type of space that I was buying out of the gate. So he was like, Hey, this is awesome because this is exactly the type of space that I'm looking to lease up. Cause I've already got three people in my back of my mind. It's no wonder that it happened so quickly. And then of course I've got two or three bankers that I have on the back and I say, Hey, look, look what we're working on. You guys have interest. Oh, no one actually we do have interest because you we've lended you money on like three other buildings and this fits right into the same thing that you've been doing and they've all worked so far. So it, it all just starts to compound and work together to where you got, again, you got the broker knowing what you're looking to buy. You got the leasing agent having the tenants that you want to rent your space. And then you've got lenders that are wanting to give you money because they're confident in the type of buildings that you're purchasing and the tenants that are leasing your space. And so it just gets easier and easier and easier just because everybody becomes more familiar with what you're doing, if that makes sense. So then everything comes, you know, then the the, the deals start coming more. And then again, the 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 leasing agents are like, this is all I got to do is just round up some guys that I know are looking for some spaces. Hey, Nolan, I'm looking, I got a guy right now that's kind of in your wheelhouse. He's looking for 12,000 feet. And then I call up Sam. Hey, Sam, you got anything, like, anything around 12, 15,000 feet? I'm actually looking at this right now because I know that's exactly what you're looking for. And so everything just stays kind of, and then I've just become this little puppeteer. So if you think about it that way, that's really the game where I'm actually not looking at the buildings. I'm not talking to the tenants. I'm not really, I mean, I call the bankers, of course, but I'm doing all, I'm just like 
I'm just like puppeteering everybody. I'm just in charge. I'm orchestrating. I'm, I'm the conductor of the orchestra, if that makes sense. And so you don't have to know how to play the trumpet. You don't know how to play the saxophone. You just have to know how to, you know, rhythm, you know, be rhythmic with everybody. If that kind of, if that kind of makes sense, would you guys agree with that? Or are you guys on the same page on that? No, that's fantastic, man. There's actually a book on that. I don't know if you guys have read it. You guys read this before? It's called Four Hour. Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Tim Ferriss. Yeah. If you guys haven't got this book, I'm I'm telling you, man, you're missing out. Getting a delegation is Tim Ferriss. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. You can probably, you can actually listen to that one for free on a Hoopla. Hoopla is an app. It's actually where you just become like a, a, I don't know, a member of like a library and you can download that and listen to it for free. But, um, okay. Go ahead, Mel. What? Um, so I know I had asked about this on school and you might be have intentions of having your leasing guy come in and chat about this, but, um, what is kind of the process of vetting the tenants and, what will be required of them? What will they have to produce in order to lease up the space, et cetera? You know, like what will they fill out? What will they have to show? What? Well, I, I think most importantly, it, it comes down to their business. And so um, like <clears throat> asking regarding like their, like their profit and loss and their balance sheet and things like that and their cash is that what you're asking? Like, are, like, where are they financially to make sure that they can actually, you know, you know, service or pay them the rent and everything? Right. I mean, like just in general, what, what is required or what do you require? What does the leasing agent require in order to vet tenants or to finally sign a tenant to a lease? Do, do you ask for P&Ls? You know, like, what do you ask for? Well, I, I think at the end of the day, Greg is calling businesses around, or my guy is Greg Wallace, who you guys will you guys will meet next week. Um, Greg is calling businesses around that area, or he's calling businesses that have maybe more square footage, or even businesses that are in smaller square footage, and saying, "Hey, I've got a new space. I don't know if you guys have business around this area, but there's a brand new space on this location that you might have interest in." And so he's calling established businesses that um, have been in, you know, again. They're, they're not calling up, you know, the the um, internet entrepreneur who's looking for 800 square feet for an office. You know, basically what he's calling up is, hey, who has equipment and needs a space to park that equipment? And where are the most of his jobs? Are they close to where this building is? And if they are, it's going to be probably more efficient than the space that they're in right now because it's in downtown Birmingham. So, what he's doing is calling up these tenants or these potential business owners and saying, Hey, look, I don't know where your space is right now. And I know that, you know, when you, when we spoke last six months, cause he's calling everybody all the time asking like, Hey, where are our business? How are things going? You looking for new space? Like always just trying to be on top of people and putting that in his, like, you know, his CRM to, you know, I don't know exactly how he does it, but I'm, I know he's got a whole, you know, a whole Google's drive of just like, a bunch of business owners and what's on their mind. Um, but he's just trying to help the tenant become more efficient. So if he can save them money, whether it's, and then them having to not drive 45 minutes across town to go to a, go to their next job and he can, you know, 
create a, a new location that's going to save them 30 minutes in the car, aka save them a bunch of fuel going back and forth for this for the space that they were in. You know, I don't think it has a lot to do with the balance sheet. I has I think it has a lot to do with the convenience for the business owner. Because again, if someone's running a business, I'm, you know, again, I look at it and think the majority of these guys, especially if they have more than one or two like locations, thirty five hundred bucks a month, or in this in this case, thirty five hundred bucks a month is not really going to move the needle for them. They look at it as more of a convenience factor, and it's like, man, even if I paid an extra six hundred bucks compared to what I'm paying now, it's so much more convenient for my team and my business to have you know more space in this location versus having everything on the other side of town and having to go back and forth. So they would almost look at it and think, I'd rather pay a little bit more money here. That's really not going to move the needle, but to be just way more convenient for my business. Does that, does that answer your question, I guess, from 30,000 feet? Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is most of the time, it's not really entertaining a new kind of a new business coming into town or whatever. It's generally the focus is someone who they're, he's kind of familiar with already, knows that they're pretty established. So then there's nothing really that they're providing. It's just kind of known that they are able to to do this. But, well, yeah, and, and they'll put a personal guarantee on that lease too. So it meaning that if they get abducted by aliens, I can go after their actual inventory and sell it to to you know to to pay for rent. So if they, for whatever reason, could not, you know, again, let's say this new guy comes in and three months into it, he doesn't pay rent. He's, he's behind 3,500 bucks. We have the legal right to go in and begin to auction off inventory in order to recoup rent. So for him, if you really want to like get philosophical, he's more likely than not going to pay his commercial rent before he would pay his actual residential rent because I have way more authority to take his livelihood than somebody as a land, like a residential landlord does trying to take his personal stuff. Cause then you got to go to core and do this whole kind of thing on residential commercial. It's like the wild West. The lease says what the lease says. And if you don't like it too bad that you signed up for it, the, uh, the adage is like the bo- boxes don't bitch. <laughs> so if you have storage units or whatever commercial on the other hand is just like, Here's the lease. Here's the contract. This is how it goes. Versus if you're in residential, it's like, oh, well, my grandma had COVID. That's why I was late. So if you have a problem, sue me in, in you know, small claims court. And you got to wait another six months just to get, you know, a couple months of rent. So that's been my observation, at least. Okay. All right. So let's, uh, I want to go back and discuss we, we talked about this seller financing on this particular um, Jefferson building on this other property that I bought. Uh, I'll show you guys the pictures of it. Let's see. This is kind of the, the flyer on it. Just a, just a, just a nice little base hit building. It's nothing crazy, but it's like 27,000 square feet. Probably need to paint the outside. This looks like it, you know, the Brady bunch painted this thing, but the outside of it is dilap not, not dilapidated, but just a little 
gray, but the inside is immaculate. It's in really great shape. So I just purchased this like a week and a half ago. So I want to go into the weeds as to how I bought it and how I negotiated the seller to finance the down payment on this. So, um, so what I did, um, does anybody have any questions on that so far? Like on the last thing before I kind of jump, like switch gears and jump into this. Cause you guys can, you guys can do this. This is probably like, this is really where the keys, the Mercedes and the, and the rubber meets the road when it comes to like doing multiple, multiple deals. Is this, is this seller financing aspect? Okay. So what, what I, what I want to like convey to y'all is what has, what I've discovered as a game changer is when you guys are going to purchase property and whether and not necessarily like in cash, but if you're financing a deal, a million dollar building or $500,000 building, and you have to inject equity, there's only so much capital that you have um, before you run out, right? Like nobody is Jeff Bezos. Like we've, whether you've got 5 million, you've got 500. It doesn't matter. Like at one point you are going to run out of cash by injecting down payments and down payments. Now you're going to get some great cash flow, but you are also going to be not be able to do any more deals because you're out of money. So what this seller financing calculator does, it is allows us to be into deals for no money and essentially have unlimited amount of deals that we can do. And so before I jump into this again and kind of recoup this, I want to convey how like when I'm looking like and cash flow is important to me. I know it's important to a lot of people, but I think what I've discovered is it's not number one. Like for example, if you guys look at this math right here for a second, like look at this scenario one, this is me. <clears throat> this is this particular deal. It's actually a little bit higher than this. It's like 11,500. Um, <clears throat> but I want you to see like, after, and this is a full service lease on this building right now. I have not changed it over to a triple net lease yet. But if you notice on this property, the net cash flow, I'm bringing in 11,500. I service my debt. I pay insurance and I pay property taxes. The net cash flow on this building is 4,500 bucks a month. Okay. Now without, I'll dive back in in a second. But if you notice, if in the second scenario, when I have the seller finance the down payment, my net cash flow is only $2,500 a month, right? So I've lost $2,000 a month in net cash flow. Most people would be like, oh, I'm really looking for the cash flow here. But the kicker is, though, is that we're sacrificing $2,000 a month of net cash flow instead of keeping $200,000 in our pocket, $220,000 of money that I would have otherwise had to deploy into the deal. So let me explain exactly what I'm saying. So if we're going through scenario one here, this top portion here, when I went and sat down with this seller on this Jefferson building, I bought it for one one. He bought it in 2011 for 425,000. He had a mortgage payoff. It was like 200, like it was like 249. I was like almost right on it. Um, oops, two four nine five zero. And so after closing costs, closing proceeds were seven sixty two almost. So he had a capital gain of six seventy five, which was essentially this purchase price minus this purchase price. Okay, 
Now he was in a tax bracket. It's, it might even be higher because he also sold his business, but he's going to owe on this capital gain $236,000 in capital gains. So the way that I went and sat down with this Larry guy out of the gate is I said, look, Larry, if you would have never met me, we never known each other. You sold this building to some hedge fund, whoever it was. Um, this is your situation. This is exactly how it's going to break down. I mean, there's no, you can't get around it. You're not 1030 wanting money. You're going to the beach and drinking Mai Tais. Like you don't have a way around of getting rid of this capital gain tax. It's it's inevitable, especially again, if you're not going to defer the tax with capital gain with, with, a, 10, uh, with a 1031. So I said, and, and this is how I think that you position it it's all about first comprehending what's important to your seller. Okay. <clears throat> so I went into this and I was prying, I was asking questions. I was learning more about Larry's business. Again, he was in the, the blind distribution business. I was discovering like, okay, so Larry, you're selling this business, you're selling this property. So, you know, what's next for you? Well, I'm on the hook to pay these capital. So he started, he initially like, inevitably mentioned capital gains tax. I don't want to pay capital gains. I got all these capital gains tax. Like, the government, the government, he's, he said it like 10 times. So I discovered quickly that paying capital gains was like the largest thing that was on his mind when he sold this business in this building. So <clears throat> what I did is I said, after I kind of understood what was important to him, which is not paying capital gains, I said, Larry, look, again, if you never met me, this was going to be your situation, yada, yada. But I want to be on the same page here that you told me. I want to make I want to just be on the same page. I want to regurgitate what you said that capital gains, you do not want to pay those. Am I on the same page with you? He's like, oh my God. Like I just blah 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 blah. I just, I'm just, you know, my wife, you know, whatever the whatever his situation was. And I said, All right, so just to be clear, I just like I I slowed down. I it was almost like I slowed down and I said, so just to be clear. You want to lower and minimize your capital gains as mathematically as we possibly can. Am I on the same page with you on that? And I and I worded it that way. I said mathematically. Can are we on the same page about mathematically lowering our capital gains down to the lowest possible? Are we on is that what we're trying to accomplish? And he's like eating out of the palm of my hand. He's like, this is that's exactly what I'm looking for, right? And so I said, okay. I said, all right, well. If that's what you're wanting to do, if that's what you just told me that you wanted to do, we might have a solution for this. There's going to be a way. And of course, I did the math beforehand before I walked in there. I said, there might be a way for you to save over $130,000 of taxes um, on this deal. Are you open to hearing more about that? Are you open to hearing that? He's like, 130? He's like, "Uh, yeah, I'm open to that. I'm like, okay, well, let me just show you something. Let me just show you. And that's kind of when I went and I said, look, this, and I explained the first scenario. If you would never met me, you know, whatever. I said, but let's go down to scenario two. And let's discover if there is a way to squeeze more juice out of this deal. Because again, I go, I say, look, you told me that capital gains is important to you. And that's when I say, look, I'm you're in the blind distribution distribution business, Larry. I'm in the real estate business. I buy buildings like this for a living. This is what we do, my, my partners and I. So we're in the business of extracting as much juice out of these deals as we possibly can. And that's not on the buying side. That's also on the selling side. It's not you and me versus each other. It's me and you versus the government. 
That's the game. So if you can switch your seller's mind to stop thinking it's you versus them, and now it's you two partnering against the government, then he's going to be way more likely to be on your team when you position seller financing, okay? Yes, yeah, hi, you, yeah, I'm saying, if you position it to where it's you and the seller taking on the government versus you two button heads, you're more likely than not than ever, you're never going to have a, a, a rebuttal ever. They're always going to want to partner with you because you're no longer the bad guy. You're their teammate and you both want to win. So what I did is I positioned and I went through the whole thing. I said the same thing, the income, the debt service. But then I mentioned this little debt service thing, this Larry Gardner debt service piece. And this is the next piece that you have to really think about. I never say anything about a mortgage. I never say lien position. I never say um, owner finance. I don't say any of those kind of like flagging words. The only words that I use are leaving money in the deal. That's what I say. I don't say, Larry, are you you are owner financing me the down payment of $250,000. I don't say that. I say, Larry, you have the opportunity to leave $250,000 in this deal. And look what the math checks out like when you do this. So I, I just like, I'm super passive about how I describe it. And then I immediately go into the math and showing them how the math checks out for them and how they're going to make more money. So again, I show all the numbers, how it's going to, so I say money, so if you notice right here, money left in the deal, I'm going to, I'm going to bold that money left in the deal. And so I'll explain this, how it got to 300 in a minute, but, and I negotiated 8% with them, whatever. But what we ended up doing, how the math checks out is that instead of him collecting $675,000 in a capital gain in the very first year, he's separating the capital gains into two separate years. So in the future, when there is a balloon payment, you know, of that down payment that he financed me, he's in a smaller tax bracket. So he's going to pay less taxes in the future. So that's kind of how like the math checks. But when you position it to where he's leaving money in the deal, he's not financing you anything. He's not a lean position holder. He's not any of the, the magic words that we talk about in real estate. You're keeping it very third grade with him. You're not, you're not getting into the weeds of talking about like, you know, tiny little details and real estate metrics. You're just like keeping it. Cause again, the guy's in the blind distribution business. He's not in the freaking real estate business the way you and I are. So I'm just very, very like easygoing and like crazy passive about the language that I use. And then once he understands that again, that it's him and I versus the government, and then he's just leaving money in the deal, that's going to allow him to continue to cash flow 200 or $2,000 a month. And then he's going to get another check at the end of the of 36 months. He's, I said, look, Larry, I'm not a, I'm not a mathematician or I'm not a, uh, I, I, I can't predict the future. My name is not Jafar. I don't know. I don't, I'm not Aladdin. I don't know. I don't have a magic eight ball. I'm willing to bet that when you go and speak with your accountant on this, he is going to ask you if you can leave more money in this deal. And so he kind of laughed and said, ha ha. He calls me back three days later. He's like, no, I don't know how you pulled that off, but my accountant was asking if we could actually leave 300,000 in the deal instead of $225,000. And I go, well, Larry, let me, uh, let me call my banker real quick. And I like called him off and I was like, I didn't even need to call a banker. I just was like trying to play it off. But I was like, Larry, yeah, that, that actually would work out better that you left 300 grand in the deal, blah, 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 blah. But 
what I ended up doing is I just, I didn't sell him anything. I didn't ask him to do anything that he didn't want to do. I wasn't trying to manipulate him. I was trying, if you really think about it, I was really focusing on putting the seller first. I was trying to help him squeeze more juice out of this deal than he otherwise would have not done. Again, like I said, if he would have never met me, he would have done this first scenario. And he would have still walked away with a really nice chunk of change. He still would have made great money. But look at the difference if he would have just, again, he's doing it my way, but look how much more money that he's going to make just because he was educated on doing something different. That would have, if you would have gone into him, if I would have gone into Larry and said, Hey, Larry, will you finance me this building? Think about that. That's how everybody on Facebook and on the internet pitches shit. Hey, um, will you owner finance this? If you go in and speak to Larry like that, there's a 0% chance that Larry or any seller is ever going to want to do that. But if you understand the psychology behind how these sellers are thinking and what's important to them, you go in and you try and, to, you try and pry out and extract information about what is important to them. And then you hear the taxes and you hear, I got to pay the government. You hear all these things, which is what they're going to say, because you can ask those questions. Hey, what about the government? What do you think about this? Oh my God. Well, I got to pay all these taxes. Like you can extract that information and then you can just regurgitate what they say back to you. And then they're going to agree with you. You do the mirroring thing, you know, the never split the difference book, which is by Chris Voss, who Greg D'Alessio on here turned me on to that book. Great book. You mirror what the seller says to you. He says, I don't want to pay capital gains. You say, so you don't want to pay capital gains, correct? You just like repeat what he says back to you. And he's going to say, oh my God, I just do not want to pay capital gains. Perfect. This is the way that we do this. Let me show you how you can save yourself $132,000. You can leave money in this deal. And let me show you, and you can kind of raise your voice at the end. You can lean in and raise and open your eyes a little bit and get excited about it. And I'm telling you, these little cues like that, the seller is then, again, at this point, he's on your team because it's you and him versus versus the government. At that point, he is now your greatest friend and your greatest asset. He's going to want to put more money in the deal. So you're borrowing less from the bank and your cash flow goes up because you have no money in the deal. So that's kind of like the philosoph- or like the, the psychological and philosophical way of, of negotiating seller finance. Because it's not what they talk about on bigger pockets and the pace morbies. It's like it's not you know, a million dollar building in the in the seller financing you 750 and you putting 250 down because you're really still in the same boat. Instead, it's you having the bank bring the 750 and the seller bringing the 250. So you're still in the deal for no money and you get all that depreciation, which is really at the end of the day, what's really most important because it's going to save you so much money in taxes versus trying to extract a couple extra thousand bucks of cash flow every month. Does that make sense from 30,000 feet? Who has questions on that or or ideas on like how I kind of got from start to finish there? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, have two, I have two questions. Um, yeah. <clears throat> first, I really like how you like phrase everything because you're right, like on online, they do not portray it in sh- showing the seller this way. Uh, the first question is for the tax bracket for the 35%, where where is that 35% coming from? Because like when I did a Google search, it says like long-term capital gains can go up to 20%. Well, I mean, you're talking about like, I mean, again, he has a he had a business too. So he was he he owned a blind distribution business. So he had like income tax, he had payroll tax, he had social security, Medicare, Medicaid taxes. And I was just kind of using this as like a blended number. So 
you could you okay. could manipulate this number really any way that you wanted to. And so I even put it back on him. I said, hey, if you'd like me to try and make these numbers even more watertight, I'd like to hear what your your um, accountant would think that the tax that you're in, you know? Yeah, I guess the thing is you really have no idea, but you know because you're spreading it over multiple years, it's going to be better. So you just, this isn't like you're, like the way you phrase this is saying like, look, I don't know your situation because I, I like it's impossible for me to know, but generally speaking, this is what it could look like. That's right. Your okay. I, ball, I ballpark yeah. it out of the game. Oh, okay. sorry, Mel. What's that? I think what maybe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Lily, um, I think the 20% is how much percentage capital gains taxes is. He's doing the tax bracket that this guy might fall in. Right, right. Okay. Because if he's making, call it $50 million in a business, which he wasn't doing that, but call it if he was, he would he would be at the highest tax bracket, which is, at least in Alabama, it's 35%. And then you got to also tack on some state, which is 6%, at least in Alabama. So you're talking about that could be even higher, like, you know, depending upon the state that you're in. So I just kind of ballpark the tax bracket because 35 kind of kind of feels right. You know, it kind of feels right to me. Um but it, it could be higher. It could be lower. It could be manip- that number can be manipulated. But um, I think really at the end of the day, when I print this out on a one pager and I hand it to him, um, it becomes very clear, very clear that if he's going to try and nitpick and split hairs on the actual like, oh, th- well, actually, I'm only in the 34.2 percent tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say like, well, then you're just a douche. Like that's not the you're not. You're not seeing the, <laughs> the forest beyond the trees, you know, like, I got you, you know, you see, what I mean, though, like, I'm not, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. Like, uh, I want him to comprehend that, like, this is a way better deal, dude, yeah. it's a much yeah. better deal. And if you don't want to do it, it's no big, like, and this is what I say to him. I say, look, I'm going to close this deal with you regardless, Larry, because I, I, I love the asset. I'm confident that I'm buying it at freaking 60, you know, 45% off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to buy this building no matter what. Like I'm confident in this building and this project and this and what the trajectory of this of this space does. I'm just trying to candidly. I'm just trying to help you make more money. Yeah. Like when you position it that way, where it's like completely off the table of you needing them to finance you something, then they're just like, "Damn, this kid really, you know, this guy's really making sense. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need me." Now I discovered that it's actually him and I versus the government. And now I realize that my account's even on board on this because he actually, I sent it to him and, and my account was agreeing with me or was agreeing with this guy that this does make sense. At that yeah. point, it's like the trifecta, like you cannot, he can't walk away at that point. So that's when he's asking to leave more money. And honestly too, what you'll discover with those business owners, especially if they're owner occupants, Lance, is... um. All of these guys, when they sell their business, they've lost, they sold, they, let's say they made a million dollars, right? Which is still awesome, right? That's a good day. But they've lost their income stream. They don't have any income anymore. So now mm-hmm. it's a race against time. They got a million dollars in a checking account. Every time they go drink a Mai Tai, there's $8 less in that account. You yeah. know, they have no more new money coming in. So this, even though it's only two grand of, you know, quote unquote debt service, that $2,000 of new money every month is was a big deal to Larry, which I could probably implement that in my pitch even more, which I haven't, I didn't do at the time because he didn't make that seem like a big deal at the time. He was more about yeah. taxes. But once he mentioned to me, his wife was saying that he was like, man, we really could use some new money. 
I was like, well, then Larry, you're getting two grand a month here, you know? So that was a big deal to him. So that's something that you could, you could, you know, apply to your pitch is that Mr. Business Owner, if you're, you know, you're selling, that's awesome. We're excited for you. But just know that not only are you, once you sell, you're losing your stream of income forever. Um, now it's a race against time. You put $3 million in your bank account, but every Mai Tai that you drink is dwindling that $3 million. You know, that's a lot of Mai Tais. Yeah. I'm jealous of that, of course, Mr. Seller. But let me just explain to you, like, there is a timeline. There's a mathematical timeline on that versus bringing in new money, you know, carrying, carrying you know, having leaving some money in the deal. So yeah. does that so, make sense? From thirty thousand, yeah, that makes perfect. That makes perfect sense. Um, my second question for this is: I know at least in the residential side, so this whole like strategy of using the seller to finance a down payment. I know you you follow Pace Morby, like he calls this the Morby method. And in that, I know that like again, this may be different between commercial, but I know in residential, no bank is going to allow you to be like, hey, the seller is giving me a phantom three hundred thousand dollar down payment. Like you have to find a transactional lender to give you the three hundred thousand. Then you give the money back to the transactional lender, and then the seller you could a new note the seller that they owe you the three hundred thousand. How do you satisfy the bank? Because again, in residential, there, there no way would they let you just have a phantom. Because the the three hundred thousand is phantom. Like no one's actually there's no three hundred thousand in this. No, you're 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 right. You're right. It it is is it's fugazi gets fugazi. It's yeah. it truly is. It's money that never that was well well, it was money that was going to go to the seller. Yeah. But now it's not. It's not because what 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 this ends up really meaning is that this three hundred grand right here, it, the seller is leaving the three hundred thousand in yeah. the meaning that he's taking a second position mortgage behind the bank. Okay. So bank is going to show up with 800 grand and then Larry is going to show up with 300 grand. And so that's going to satisfy. He he has to bring. He doesn't have to bring that that money. He doesn't bring that money. Okay. So, so commercial banks don't care. This is the banks don't care. Cause I know commercial banks, believe this or not, Lance, I've got three bank. Well, I, I work with like four banks. Three of my four um, actually asked me and say, "Hey, are, have you have you negotiated the seller to finance you the down payment?" They're like all in on it. They they think it's great because okay. they don't give a shit. They're in first position. The yeah. banks know that if the seller is financing you the down payment and I get abducted by aliens, their collateral is the real estate still. Like the seller yeah. is really the one that's shit out of luck at that point. Yeah, like they on paper gifted me $300,000 and I'm paying them interest on that and I'll balloon it in the future. But the bank really knows that the their collateral is secured with the real estate. The, 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 the seller doesn't have any, I mean, again, you can say they got a second position mortgage and things like that, but it's really just a contract between you and the seller. Like I, if you yeah. really distill it down, they don't have, they don't got anything. It's just them saying, Hey, they're hoping and and that's why sometimes they'll even ask you, hey, if you got life insurance or if you got other real estate, we want to have the collateral to that. And I say, go kick rocks. Like I'm not doing that. And then I've I've had deals fall apart over. It. I'm not gonna lie. I've had like probably three deals fall apart when they say, Hey, well, the 400 grand that I'm gonna finance you, I want collateral to that on your car, your life insurance. And I'm like, peace out. Like the collateral is my word. That's my word. That's 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 what I'm giving you. And so 
I've had deals fall apart because of it. But then what do you know? And next week, everyone, when y'all are here, I'll walk, uh, we'll, we'll drive by one of the buildings that that exact deal happened. And then what do you know about eight months later, the seller calls me back with the $250,000 discount. I fucking bought the building. So all I'm saying is everything works out the way it's supposed to work out if you play the game the right way. But yeah. Um, so hey man, do me a favor and yeah. um will you will you go ahead and email this to us because I want to add that to my pro forma. Dude, this is already it's already on. So let me uh if you guys go to which everybody's already on this, if you guys go to Google Drive, um everybody is already included on this. If you notice on the shared link right here, everybody's already on this. Um should be if you go to my Google Drive and CRE Mastermind. Dude, I have no idea. The only thing I ever ripped off of this thing was the was nope. the Performa. Nope. This is all oh, in, gotta, all in here. Like, all of this like, stuff is in All of this stuff is yours. It's like yeah. I got a freaking PhD on the Performa. I didn't even look left to see what else was in it. Yeah, so this is all all this other stuff in here is is a is like everyone has access to this. So make sure that you guys, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it now. All yeah. right, thank you. Um, so you can have that. Just make sure you make a copy of it. So um, you can I'm make gonna it. Just, I'm going to just download the whole folder, bro. Yeah, just yeah, download the whole thing. So, all right. Anybody got any like kind of last thoughts, questions or whatever before we kind of jump off of this last one? Cool. All right. Well, we'll get out of here. I like to I like to make sure we kind of keep it just to the, you know, the hour. I got a I got a kid in the other room and everything like that. I know you guys do, too. So. No. Well, Lance, man, thanks for jumping on. We're excited to have you, man. And, and, um, Greg, Mel, Hyder, I'm excited to, I'm excited to see you guys next week, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. We got a, we got a really, um, a great, a great thing. It, uh, it's something I've never done before. So I'm just, we're just going for it. We're going to see what happens, but I've got with all of my guys and, uh, they're like ecstatic to be a part of this. So my bro, Sam, you guys, you guys, uh, you know, on the call with, I don't know, a couple months ago or whatever. My other guy, Greg, my accountant, Clay, all, all that stuff. It's, it's going to be really great. I'm, I'm excited to have you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be recorded, right? <laughs> We're going to try and do everything that we can to like record as much as possible. Thankfully, my wife is going to be um, there for both days. So she's going to be like going out around trying to like make sure it's all on top. But um, it's going to be a cool thing. I'm excited. So um, all right, y'all. Well, cool. I appreciate everyone jumping on tonight. We had a little bit of a, of a leaner, leaner call this evening, but that's kind of sometimes what makes it fun is we can all be together. So. And no, I'll send you the email. Get back to me if you can on the lead investor. Okay. I'll, I'll look at it tonight. Little, I'll look at it tonight. Thanks brother. So, all right, y'all appreciate everyone. Excited to see everybody next week. Again, call me or holler at me if anything else changes, if you need something else and I'll, I'll get on as, as soon as I can. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. All right. Have a good evening. See you.